I'm Don Mockholtz, and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 62 for the week of March 10th, 2021. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, March 10th, the moon is a thin crescent in the morning sky. The moon will be new on March 13th at 10.20 Universal Time. For almost everyone, that will be sometime during the day on Saturday, March 13th, the moon will be new. For those wishing to see a thin crescent moon in the morning sky just before new moon on the 13th, the southern hemisphere is favored since the ecliptic heads south in the morning sky and the moon is a few degrees south of the ecliptic. After this weekend, the moon will become visible in the western sky at evening twilight. Those wishing to see a thin crescent moon within a day of new moon will be best situated in the equatorial regions of the Earth. With no moon in the sky, this week is a good week to get out and observe some of those galaxies, nebula, and clusters. We still have the minor planet Vesta at magnitude 6.0 shining in the constellation Leo. Map 3 from last week's podcast, Podcast 61, shows where it is located. This is also a good week, perhaps the best of the year, to do the Messe Marathon. I'll talk more about that later. A traffic jam of sorts of solar system objects is in our morning sky on Wednesday, March 10th. Now, we already have the planets Mercury, Jupiter, and Saturn low in the east before morning twilight. On March 10th, the moon joins them. This weekend, part of the world changes their clocks from standard time to daylight savings time, also known as DST. Parts of Europe, well, most of Western Europe, runs that exercise in a few weeks. Most of Africa and Asia stay on standard time all year round. Same for South America, but most of South America stays on standard time. The state of Arizona, where I live, is always on standard time, so we do not change our clocks this weekend. But most of the United States and Canada do change their clocks. So what happens? At 2 a.m. local time on Sunday, March 14th, 2 a.m. when almost no one is awake except astronomers and insomniacs, the time automatically becomes 3 o'clock. At that moment, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, universal time does not change. Sidereal time does not change. The heavens do not suddenly advance one hour to keep up with our clocks. 
The clock on our wall, and more commonly the time display on your phone, is the only thing that changes. So if evening twilight was at 8 o'clock on Saturday night, it will be at 9 o'clock on Sunday night. It will get dark an hour later than it did previously. Over the next three months, that twilight time will advance to 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And the further north you live, the later into the evening before it gets dark. I've always found late evening twilight to be inconvenient. Ideally for me, would be it gets dark around 7.30 each night all year round. It kind of does that at the equator, by the way. If morning twilight, the Saturday morning, is at 5.30 a.m., then the next morning, Sunday morning, twilight will be at 6.30 a.m. Over the next three months, that will retreat to 6 o'clock, 5.30, 5 o'clock, 4.30 by midsummer, and the further north you live, the earlier it becomes. This Sunday becomes the shortest day of the year for many. It's only 23 hours long. Don't worry, on Sunday, November 7th, which is eight months from now, you get that hour back when we set the clocks back and have a 25-hour day. Some states, about 30 of them, have passed legislation to do away with standard time and have daylight savings time all year around. Presently, the U.S. federal government says you can ignore daylight savings time, but you cannot ignore standard time. So these states would have to change the federal law before they can have it daylight saving time all year around. The biggest significance that year-round daylight savings time has is that the winter evenings it will get dark an hour later than usual, say around 7 p.m. instead of 6 p.m. And what happens in the morning? Instead of twilight being at 6 a.m., it's at 7 a.m. And sunrise will perhaps be at 8 or 8.30 in the morning. That's what a year-round daylight savings time looks like. So this Sunday, most of you in the United States will change your clocks. Most cell phones will do that automatically for you. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, March 10th through Tuesday, March 16th? It all depends upon your location. This week we have seven zones. All you need to know is your latitude. At 65 degrees north, you'll not see the International Space Station at all. Sweden hardly ever gets to see it. From 45 to 60 degrees north, and, and that's you, Canada, England, most of Russia, you'll see it in your morning sky, sometimes twice each morning, but only for the first half of the week. By this weekend, you will not see it at all. From 35 to 45 degrees north, a narrow band, the International Space Station will be in your morning sky the first few days of the week, then in your evening sky for the last couple days of the week. From 20 degrees north 
to 35 degrees north. The ISS will be in a morning sky all week long. And near the end of the week, it will also appear in your evening sky. From 10 degrees south of the equator to 20 degrees north of the equator, this is the equatorial band, the ISS will be in both your morning and evening sky, so you might see it twice per night. From 38 to 10 degrees south, that's most of South America and Africa and Australia, the ISS will be in your evening sky, but only for the first few nights of the week. South of 38 degrees south, you will not see it at all. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com, enter your location, then click on ISS. There are no bright comets in our sky this week, but there is some comet news. Comet 141P slash Machholz is a comet that I discovered in 1994, and it comes by every 5.3 years. In the past week, it outburst in brightness. Something happened to cause this. It had been in our evening sky, being closest to the sun in mid-December, at 0.8 astronomical units. It reached its brightest in early January of this year, two months ago, after having a small outburst, when it shone at about magnitude 10.5. It has been slowly dimming since then and was about 15th magnitude. On around March 2nd, it outburst again. The brightness increase was about three magnitudes, or about 15 times brighter. Images show an expanding coma in a small tail. We do not know for sure what happened to this comet, but it has fractured off some pieces from time to time. When I found it in 1994, it had four additional pieces, and in the months following, one of the fragments, part D, fragmented again. Every 5.3 years, it returns, and sometimes we find additional fragments traveling with it. Some comets fragment or break apart when they go close to the sun. This comet does not go close to the sun. It gets only a bit closer than we are. And in the past, the fragmenting has occurred at various locations along its orbit. My guess is that a small fragment broke off of the main comet, and it is possible that images will show it within the next month or so. The other option is that it has disintegrated, but I do not think that that has happened. We know this comet to be sturdy, as are most of the fragments, too. To disintegrate, it has to fall completely apart, then disappear. Again, I don't think that is a scenario in this case. This week, with both binoculars and a telescope, let's take a look at two open star clusters side by side. They are by no means identical. They do differ considerably. I'm talking about M46 and M47 in our southern evening sky. 
They are identified on Podcast 62, Map 1, and Map 3. M46 is magnitude 6.7, and it measures 18 by 15 arc minutes. It sits about 5,300 light years away. It's made up of many faint stars like fine grains of sand. A small planetary nebula, NGC 2438, is in the northern area of this cluster. The nebula is magnitude 10.5 and small, only about one arc minute in size. It is a foreground object much closer to us than is the cluster. When comet hunting with my 5.5-inch binoculars at 29 power or my 10-inch reflector at 36 power, I would often miss this object because of its small size. Now for M47. It is brighter than M46 at magnitude 5.6, and it is about the same size, even though it's only 1,500 light-years away, compared to M46's 5,300 light-years. M47 has much brighter stars and fewer stars, not arranged in a sphere like M46, but thrown here and there. M47 was once one of the missing Messier objects, as Messier had misplotted it and gave it the wrong coordinates. The object we now know as M47 does fit his description. Look at M46 and M47 through binoculars, and you'll see the contrasting difference between the two. Also, look around the area, and you will pick up a few fainter star clusters. Now, through a telescope, look for the small planetary nebula in the northern half of M46. Notice the uniformity of stars in M46 and compare that to M47. Now for fun with the marathon. Late March is the best time to do the Messe Marathon. The search for 110 galaxies, clusters, and nebula cataloged by Charles Messier in the late 1700s. The placement of these objects in our sky gives us a window where morning and evening twilights do not interfere with any of the 110 objects. That is true only in late March of each year and from mid-northern latitudes. The ideal situation is that the moon be out of the sky in late March. A new moon, meaning the moon will not be in the sky at all, anywhere between March 22nd and March 29th is the ideal situation. That happens only about one-third of the years. We had a perfect moon phase last year in, in 2020 with a new moon on March 24th. In 2023, three, three years later, Two years from now, new moon is on March 21st. Not bad, but not ideal. Next year, in 2022, the new moon will be on March 31st, a few days before it is a crescent in the morning sky. Not the ideal situation, but good enough for a marathon on Saturday, March 26, 2022. This year, 2021, 
The moon is full on March 28th, and a full moon makes it difficult to see some of the Messe objects. This weekend, March 13th, 14th, the moon is new, and so it will not interfere with the marathon. The most you can find on March 13th, 14th, this weekend, is 109 of the 110 Messe objects. The globular cluster M30 will not rise until the morning sky is in strong twilight. M30 will first become visible around March 25th or later. The most difficult Messe objects on March 13th will not be in the evening sky. They're well above the horizon. The morning sky has the challenges. With M72 and M73, the last objects you'll likely see. Those observing from further north, such as 40 degrees north latitude or above, may have some trouble finding M55 and M75. After the moon is new on March 13th, it enters the evening sky and gets increasingly brighter each night. Working backwards, on March 20th, the moon is very close to M1, so M1 will not likely be visible. On March 19th, the moon is about 35% full and about 10 degrees from M1, still not an easy night. On Thursday, March 18th, the moon is near M45, the Pleiades. It, it should not hinder finding the Pleiades, but the moon will be about 25% full, still casting some light into our sky. Perhaps Wednesday, March 17th, is our last good day of being able to do the Messe Marathon without significant hindrance from the moon. It will be there, all right, between 15 and 20% full, between M45 and M77, and it may make it difficult to find M74 and M33, but it is worth a try. So I would recommend doing the Messe Marathon as early as Wednesday, March 10th through Wednesday, March 17th, with the weekend of Saturday night, March 13th, being the targeted night for the marathon, since it is a Saturday night and astronomers like Saturday nights. Now what about doing the Messe Marathon on the evenings of March 30th or March 31st? The moon is a few days after full. It is not located near any faint Messe objects. And if you get about 65 of those objects in the 90 minutes before moonrise, then by the time the moon comes up, you've found most of the faint objects. I did this on March 19, 1984, and saw 109 objects, the maximum possible from that latitude and date. It might be worthwhile to try for M77, M74, and M33 on March 30th or 31st. And if you see them, then keep going. You might get all 110 before the night is over. The next new moon is on Sunday, April 11th. So some marathoners are targeting Saturday night, April 10th, for their marathon. 
Or they're using the April date as a backup marathon if March 13th is clouded out. However, by April 10th, we will lose M77, M74, and M33 to evening twilight, meaning at most you'll see 107 of the 110 Messe objects. In podcast number 5 through 11, created last year at this time, I go into detail about finding those 110 Messe objects. The observing order can be found on my website, Podcast 62, Messe Marathon Search Sequence. During the summer of 1969, the summer in which we landed on the moon, I worked for the Mount Diablo School District in Concord, California on the maintenance team. We specialized in air conditioners going from school to school, changing HVAC filters and oiling belts. I was between my junior and senior years of high school. I remember this well. It made an impact on me. One day at one of the schools we were visiting, they were doing some construction work, bulldozers and such. At lunchtime, we all ended up eating our lunches together, a few of us guys sitting around eating and chatting. The bulldozer operator just out of the blue said that the thing to do nowadays is to specialize in something. Being the jack of all trades, the renaissance man, just doesn't cut it anymore. The thing to do, he continued, was to find something that almost no one else does well and specialize in it. Get to know that topic extremely well. Become the top of the field in that area. He then gave an example. Carl Sandberg, who, by the way, had died just a few years prior, wrote several volumes on the life of Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States. People might not know Carl Sandburg for anything else, but they do know that he wrote about Lincoln. And Carl Sandburg knew about Abraham Lincoln. If you wanted to know about Abraham Lincoln, go ask Carl. Sometimes someone will say something and you might say to yourself, well, I never thought of that before. This is new to me. That is probably not what happened to me. Instead, I believe this guy was stating something that I had sensed was the way to live, but I had never put it into such concise terms. Why is this important to me? Well, I was not an A student in school. I was more or less a B student, more like a B minus student. I never really took advantage of the idea that I could raise my grade by doing better in my test. Because testing to me was mainly the student repeating information back to the teacher. That is to say, school was mainly memorization, and those who memorized well did well. Those who did not memorize well did not do well. I did not memorize well in those days. I had and still have a creative mind. 
Not much credit is given in school for most creativities, but that's the way I am wired, the way I am made. Two more things. I did well in science because I enjoyed science, and I did not do well in foreign language because my brain, and I know I'm not alone in this, my brain has trouble processing and visualizing words. I'm still not good at foreign language and names, but I have accepted that. To be an A student, to do well at school, was something that I was incapable of doing. But what if I chose the subject, a very narrow subject, one I enjoyed, and I learned all I could about that subject and I specialized in that? Now that was attainable for me. In 1969, I was on my second telescope and working my way around the sky, observing all the Messe objects in one year. I was starting some lunar and planetary photography, reading the astronomy magazines and going to astronomy club meetings to meet others and learn more. In a way, to many of my fellow high school students, I was a specialist in a narrow field. Do you have an astronomy question? Ask Don. How many of your friends are as involved in astronomy as much as you are? Unfair question, as most of us have a disproportionately large number of friends who are astronomers. After high school, our social circles change. But compared to the general public, you are an expert in astronomy. Others depend upon you to deliver. I bet you know far more about astronomy than you know about Abraham Lincoln, but that is Carl's thing. Six years after that summer conversation, I chose to become a visual comet hunter, an even more specialized field than simply astronomy. I read and learned all I could about it, tried different methods and techniques as the creative side ran a lot of my development. Then beginning in late 1978, I got involved in something called the Messe Marathon. I researched, experimented, and developed the observing order many use today. I wrote two books on the subject. I've done dozens of Messe Marathons. Yes, I do specialize in them. Messe marathons and visual comet hunting. As an amateur astronomer, that is me. Enough about me. What about you? If you're taking the time to listen to this podcast, you probably have more than a passing interest in astronomy. It is good to have a basic knowledge of everything about astronomy, from the constellations to understanding sidereal time to radial astronomy, a little bit of everything. That goes a long way. But you can also specialize in something. We discuss in these podcasts the many areas available from time to time. And if you have dipped your toe into astronomy, you know the many specialized fields that amateur astronomy has to offer. Only you know what rocks your boat. If not, try a lot of things available to you in astronomy 
and see if there is something that you just cannot get enough of. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? The asteroid Vesta is still visible in Leo. See last week's map. Do the Messe Marathon or at least get out and see some Messe objects with M46 and M47 being our highlighted objects this week. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 62 for March, March 10th, 2021. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com. Two H's. You can contact me at donthastronomer at gmail.com. Once again, donthastronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky and look at a couple of very bright double stars. And I'll discuss twilight, what it is and why does it matter. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.